How's everybody doing? Good? Um, have, uh, have a little joke for you. Pretty, uh, pretty good joke. I kind of rate my own jokes. This one's a pretty good one. All right, you ready? An unemployed guy sees an ad in the paper that says, Photographer wanted for Miami-based luxury bikini line. Thinking it's a joke, the guy calls the number in the ad. Hello, is that photographer ad a joke? He asks. No, says the voice in the other line. One of our photographers died suddenly last week, and we are looking for a new one. Cool, I've been looking for a new job for a while, and this seems like it could be a really good job for me. Great. Are you married? Our models tend to get uncomfortable when they have pictures taken by married men. No, I'm single, he said. Nice. Are you able to control yourself around women? I am more than able, he said. Wonderful. Do you have a passport? We sometimes do shoots in exotic locations. I do have a passport, he said. I'm delighted to tell you that you are more than qualified for the job. How quickly can you get to Vancouver? Vancouver? I thought you were based in Miami, he said. We are. Vancouver is where the line for the interview starts. Obviously, you're not geographically challenged, so you got that part figured out. So I'm curious if you weathered the big snowstorm that never quite materialized um, this last week, at least here. Um, I, uh, I find it really difficult to wait for something like a snowstorm, uh, especially when I have church activities that I have to decide if they're going to proceed or whether or not that we should cancel. And I realized this week, as I was kind of struggling with that for a little bit, that I don't like to wait on things that I have no control over. Anybody here kind of like that? Like the things that I don't have control over, I just hate waiting on them. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that, and I know that the Bible says that you and I have control issues. Tell someone you have control issues. Last week, uh, here at Lighthouse, we were introduced to this idea that God does not operate on our timeline. My guess is we've kind of figured that out. Um, God seems to make promises and then says, just wait. Just wait for them to be fulfilled. And our question is going to kind of focus on that today. Here it is. What is something you have waited on or you are waiting on God for? What is something that you have waited on God for or you are currently waiting on God for? Maybe praying, waiting for it to happen. Uh, so if you'd like to answer the question, James and Tim will run the mics. You get their attention and uh, stand up, speak directly into the mic, give us a brief answer. Uh, let's see if anybody would be willing to help us get started. All right. Good morning, Pastor Dale. Good morning, church family. First of all, I want to thank you all for praying for me. 
I made it through again. Um, what is something you have waited on and you are waiting on God for? I'm, I'm sincerely looking for answers, uh, uh, guidance on everything, and I put a prayer request in today. Um, I don't know what my path is in life. Um, I try to just keep going forward every day, and I'm confused by so much stuff that I just look for answers. And um, I'm hoping that God will lead me to uh, connect my heart, my soul, and my head. Thanks. Thank you, Jerry. Good to see you. All right. One of you right up here, Sorora. Uh, my name is Aurora. Uh, I'm waiting for God for healing of back issues, and then I just recently got out of the hospital for a heart. Well, the heart's good, but they can't figure out why I'm having chest pain, so prayer and healing for that and figure out what's going on. All right, healing. Thank you, Aurora. All right. Hi, church family. I'm Julie. Um, one thing I've waited a long time on God for is to give me the courage to grow up. And to show me what my life path was going to be, because, I mean, for Christ's sakes, I'm 48 years old. Um, but I, you know, I honestly do think in the last couple months, he has shown me what my path is. I was, I was um, blessed to get a job as, as a shelter advocate at the homeless shelter. And it is the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. And I never would have thought outside the box like that on my own. But God dropped this job in my lap, and it's probably one of the best things that's ever happened mm. to me. Thanks, Julie. Hi, friends. I'm Tara. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> so I'm Tara, um, and I think I'm going to piggyback off Jerry a little bit, as I often find that I'm waiting on the answer, but... I think sometimes I'm constantly asking or constantly talking and I'm forgetting to, li forgetting to listen and wait for the answer. Mm. So. Thanks, Tara. <clears throat> Got time for a couple more. Anybody else? Hello, I'm Galen. Uh, not one specific thing, but there's... You know, a, a myriad of things that I ask God for, and then I just wonder if it's gonna, if He's answered yes, no, or wait. And so, um, you know, the biggest thing I've learned from all this is uh, to not, not pull an Abraham and not try and take matters into my own hands and try and interpret what God's promised uh, with what I can see. Oh, thank you. You probably know that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. Whenever I've asked, and it's always been wait, for me it becomes a point where I then they, God then has to get the two by four out and knock me upside the back of the head yeah. for, hey, here's where you belong. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Heather. All right. One more. Anybody else? All right. Shantae. <laughs> Hi, family. Um, I'm Shante. I haven't been here in a while, but um, how everybody doing? Um, I can't have kids, so my son is 17. That's the only one I have, so I'm waiting on. I'm going to do foster care or just get more kids. All right. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you, Shante. <laughs> it's great to see you back. 
Yeah, great to see you back. Um, so I do want to know, um, how good is everybody at waiting? How good are you at waiting? Uh, you know, scale of one to five, you know, one being horrible, five being great, hold up one hand and tell me. Okay, a lot of ones, 2.5, all right. Um, so, so one of the things that I think is challenging in this um, life of faith of ours is, you know, God makes these promises and he kind of challenges us to just hang around and wait for them to be fulfilled. How good are you at giving God control in your life and letting him lead? That's another question. Yeah. How good are you at giving God control and letting him lead? You know, there's this this verse that I think is probably the one promise verse that everybody has heard and knows, even if you haven't spent much time around church, comes from Jeremiah chapter 29. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, for they are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, another translation says to give you, you know, prosperity and, and not disaster. And sometimes I read that um, and I think, well, I want to cash that in right now. Yeah? I want to cash that in right now. If that's, the, if that's the truth, God, you know, why aren't I experiencing that, you know, today or every day? And, you know, one of the things that I think is probably good for us to acknowledge as people of faith, people who are at least on a spiritual, uh, spiritual path, is that it can be hard to give God control in our lives and to let him lead. Sometimes I even wonder, what does it mean to give God control of my life and let him lead? And, you know, I think that the reason why there is such a challenge for us in figuring out how to do that and then doing it is because you and I have control issues. Tell someone you do have issues. In fact, let's define it even more clearly, because I know most of you pretty well. You are a control freak. Tell someone he's got you pegged. So for those of you who are uh, new today, we have been going through the book of Genesis and uh, we have been tracking lately with this Adam, or I mean not Adam, with Abraham, soon to be Abraham, and his wife Sarai, soon to be Sarah. And uh, they are trusted followers of God. And um, God had called them, we learned a few weeks ago, uh, to pick up from a far distant country and move um, their family, their possessions to this new land, to this new life, this new experience. We've talked about how unsettling that must be to kind of move into a new life. We do that all the time, especially around here at Lighthouse Church. A lot of you are you know, trying to move into a new, new way of living or a new place. And, and, and the reality is, is that God calls them you know, for this rad, radical change. It was huge. Um, but here's the, here's the thing, you know, they, they get to this new land and the land of what we know as Israel and they're kind of the, the parents of, of the Israelites or the, the Israel nation. 
But um, they get there and God fulfills some of the promises, but not all of them. In fact, he's kind of left them hanging in a big one. Um, and, and it makes me realize that, you know, sometimes God can be really, really slow at fulfilling the promises he makes. Genesis 15, 5 and 6, God says this to Abraham and Sarah, Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, last week we learned that when Abraham moved to Canaan, that he was 75 years old. And, it's, and he's still waiting. We're going we're gonna to learn 10, 15 years. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Um, so it's not easy to wait on God, especially when your biological clock is ticking. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought, I have, God, I'm not getting any younger here. Um, now, we don't know about Abraham and Sarah's sex life, thank goodness, right? Um, but let's just assume they were doing their end of the bargain. <laughs> but God was fulfill, slow in fulfilling his promises. We are not in control of everything, are we? In fact, the older I get, the less I think I'm in control of. Do you ever give God control and then take it back? Hmm. Think, God, you've got this. No, I think I'm going to take charge. You're not operating on my timeline. Or here's one that I think we're very good at. God, um, I'm going to manage this part of my life, and you handle the rest. Um, for me, in many ways, um, those most of you know I'm a, um, in recovery for alcoholism. For me, I would say that that was my life for a pretty big period of time. While I, I said, you know, God, you handled my life, and I'm surrendered to you. But I'm going to kind of hold back on the drinking um, part. I'll manage that one myself. Um, and if you've struggled with an alcohol or drug addiction, we don't we don't manage them very well long term, do we? Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty, I mean, that was kind of where I was. I'm going to have this one thing that's going to be my mind to manage. Some of you might be trying to trust God for your sobriety, but not for your relationships. Pretty big. Um, or um, here's one that often happens. God, I'm going to kind of give you all the areas of my life, except for my finances, you know, um, you know, and I know the Bible says a lot about money, but I'm going to manage my money my way. Do you hear it? Tough stuff. When Jesus says, I want all of you, what, is that? what in the heck does that mean? Well, it might mean that he wants all of you and me. So what do you have a grip on? What is it that maybe you have withheld or you're trying to hold on too tightly? Well, there's a story in Genesis which is a great example of this difficult reality in our life of, you know, saying, God, you're in control, and then I'm going to take it back. Uh, but before we even get there, because, you know, it's important to remember this when we're reading through Genesis. Genesis, I'll remind you once in a while. Um, the Bible isn't a story 
about faithful and righteous people, but about people like you and me and a faithful and righteous God. So I want you to kind of be able to approach these stories and look, what is it that this might say to me today? And I want you to realize how much Abraham and Sarah are a lot like you and me. Let's uh, grab a Bible, and I want you to turn to Genesis 16. And uh, going to read um, this uh, interesting little chapter that is headed with the passage, The Birth of Ishmael. If you don't know who Ishmael is, if you're new to this church thing, you're going to learn a little bit today. So, um, here we go. So this is Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarai, they become Abraham and Sarah a little later. They're in the promised land. God has given them this new life, but they're waiting on the, the baby thing, all right? Now Sarai... Abraham's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abraham replied, Look, she is your servant to deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shut or to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, um, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, If you are now pregnant, or you are now pregnant, and will give birth to a son, you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The son of yours will be a wild man and untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fists against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against his relatives. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir La Hoiroi, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to a son, and Abraham named him Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So for those who don't know, Ishmael is considered the father of the Arab people. Um, so a little history there. So Sarai and Abraham uh, take things into their own hands. Now, by the way, um, don't blame Sarai for this. 
um, because I know it was her idea, but it didn't seem like Abraham needed much convincing. Pretty willing partner, yeah? And, um, you know, I think that there's some really important things that we learn in this passage that um, they're kind of obvious, but sometimes it's my job to point out the obvious, and then we can kind of contemplate them for this next week, okay? So, for example, um, here's one of them. When we take control and make selfish and bad decisions, there are always collateral consequences. Unfortunately, that's true. Um, Anybody here ever say the words, I'm only hurting myself, doesn't affect anybody else. Hmm. Well, we learn in this story that's not true, and it's not true in your and my life. Uh, So, for example, we do learn it always affects others. Selfish and bad decisions always affect others. Hagar's affected. Ishmael's affected. We're going to come back to them. Um, But, you know, it affects other people when we make selfish and bad decisions. You with me? Here's the thing. It also affects our own relationships. And uh, that's probably the hardest one for us to swallow. Um, My guess is that Abraham and Sarah's marriage, their life was never quite the same. And, uh, you know, the blame can go around. But um, the reality is, is that when you and I make selfish and bad decisions, um, it affects our relationships. Am I not correct? Okay, still with me? Um, Here's another one. You had to have been here last week, but I'll kind of share it with you really quick. Um, Our boundary lines move. Uh, One of the things I I shared with you last week, I've shared it before too, is that we all have these boundary lines in our life where, you know, I'll do this, but I won't do that. And last week we learned don't camp on the boundary lines. And I said what happens is we like to kind of live on the edge of the boundaries, and then when we tiptoe over the boundaries, what happens? The boundary line moves. Yeah, so there's a new boundary line, right? And... um, one of the things that happens is when we make selfish and bad decisions, um, the boundary lines move in our life. Um, and so, you know, you, you camp on the line, you cross the line, and, and when you've crossed the line again, the boundary line moves. And we get to a place where we wonder, you know, I never set out to ruin my life, or I never set out to, you know, kind of push the people in my life away, but here I am. Um, when we make selfish and bad decisions, the boundary line moves. And, the, and what happens is then we tend to try to normalize those mistakes and those selfish you know, decisions. We, we try to kind of control um, you know, the, the, you know, the collateral consequences. Our selfishness and our bad decisions always affect people and they put us in a place where we don't necessarily want to be. We rationalize. Um, You know, if you have struggled with an addiction like me, um, there are times when our, our sick brain, our selfish brain will tell us, I think I deserve this. Or, you know, I'm not as bad as other people I know. Boundary lines moving. Um, or I'll deal with it tomorrow. 
If you deal with mental health issues, the reality is is that you are continually trying to shift what's normal in your life. And, and, you know, oftentimes when we have mental health issues, our thinking itself is not real clear. Don't camp on the boundary lines. Don't camp on the boundary lines. So here's another thing that we learned from this story. In taking control... We will often use or impact the least powerful and the most vulnerable of the people in our lives. Now, that might seem like a, kind of an obvious and a, like an, you know, a statement that doesn't have that big of an impact, but it's huge. In taking control, when we're selfish especially, we will often use or impact the least powerful and the most vulnerable. Hagar was a slave. She was considered to be property. It doesn't appear that anybody had asked Hagar if she minds sleeping with this old man, Abram, and having his child. And to even, you know, talk about this, it's probably important to say that some of you here have been or are the least powerful and the most vulnerable. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have been bullied or abused or used and discarded and left to manage the best that you can, you know what it means to have others' selfish and bad decisions affect you deep down. And if that is you, I want you to hear me and hear me clearly. God can make beautiful things even from the biggest mess of your life. And, you know, it's possible that you've just wanted to fit in or be loved or accepted or cared for. Um, I just want you to know that if you have found yourself kind of going through life as the vulnerable one and the one who has been abused, the one who is the least powerful in the room, I want you to know that the healing can begin today and that you are not at fault for the abuse that has been perpetrated on your life. You are not responsible. You are not the person who is at fault for the abuse in your life. And if you're in a relationship like that today, there is help and it should stop. God loves you. And I want you to know that healing can begin today. So, um, let me ask this. So how do we give God control and not take it back? Well, good luck. Let's sing our closing song. All right. No. Just, just kidding. Just kidding. You might want to go, but I'm not quite done. So I sometimes think this is like a really tough thing because people talk about it all the time. You know, I gave God control and then I took it back. And sometimes I want to ask, well, what, is, what in the heck does that even mean? What does it mean to give God control of my life? What does it mean to surrender to him? Or, or what does it mean that you took it back? Well, often it might mean that you're making a selfish or a bad decision, right? So how does this work in our life? 
Um, one of the things that I want you to know is that God wants us to learn to walk with Jesus and to learn to make our own good decisions. And so um, what, what ultimately we're talking about here is, is, is not so much that there's like this three-step easy thing. This is what it means to give God control. And now, you know, you'll never take it back. Literally, what we're talking about ultimately is, is growth in faith, growth in our spiritual life in such a way that you and I are able to make good decisions naturally. That we make godly decisions naturally. Um, some of you are in programs where you're learning, you know, just learn to do the next right thing. Here's the thing. Most of the time, we know what the next right thing is. And um, in our faith, we can learn to listen to the spirit that is inside of us. If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And God's spirit in us will help us make decisions. Even um, or often, our problem is that we don't slow down and listen well enough. Because we know what the right thing to do is, and the Spirit will guide us. So here's, here's something I want you to take with you. The same Spirit that works in your conscience to make you feel guilty will help you make decisions so that you don't feel guilty. Right? Our problem is we usually listen to that Spirit after we've made the decision and done the act. And that's where the guilt comes. But that same Spirit we can learn to lean into and listen um, before we make the decisions, because he will guide us to make those decisions that will avoid having us feel guilty in our life. So sometimes I think what happens in our, in our faith life is we tend to complicate things. There's no, like, you know, you know all these steps that we have to do um, in regards to this. I think it's about growing in faith. I think it's about growing spiritually. So I'm going to tell you a couple of the obvious things and then we're going to wrap up. Um, one of the best things that you and I can do is to learn to read and study the Bible. So much of what um, God wants us to know about our, his will for our life is in the Bible already. Let me give you a really quick example. If you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Um, there will be page numbers up on the screen. Galatians is one of the great books of the Bible. It talks about the freedom we have in Jesus to live our lives knowing that we're not going to be judged or condemned by God because we have Jesus. But then, you know, he goes on to talk about what does it mean actually to live and listen to the Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5, you can read the whole chapter on your own, but I just want to read a little bit beginning at verse 16. Um, and to me, this, this chapter just you know, speaks so much truth and help in this idea of, you know, giving God control, but also the value in just learning the Bible and letting it guide our lives. Um, he says in verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not un under obligation to the law of Moses. So what he's literally saying is what we just talked about, that, that this same Spirit that, that you know, is that kind of war, get, trying to guide us to better decisions, 
um, is working in our life, and and um, it will continue to guide us. But but we can kind of bank on freedom, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And then he, I, I love this. I've, I've shared this before. What he, what he says at the end of that. In case I missed one of your sins and any other sins just like these. That's what he says. Any other sins just like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, they won't be in tune with the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And here's the list. Here's how you can know that if, if you are um, you know, having growth in your faith, because you can ask yourself, um, is the fruit showing love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them uh, there. So, you know, the talks about, you know, the, the rights, the wrongs, the good decisions, bad decisions, and gives us some guidance. We can learn to listen to the Spirit, and Scripture gives us guidance. Um, the second thing I wanted to share is, is to learn how to pray and slow down and listen. Um, a lot of us are good at 911 prayers, or we're good at saying prayers, but, um, you know, one of the things that we don't do as well is listen and slow down enough to hear what God is guiding us by ordering our thoughts. Um, next thing I wanted to share, these are obvious, surround yourself with people of faith who can support you. Um, I know most of you pretty well, every one of us in this room pretty much, needs somebody of faith in our life who can say, I think that's a crazy idea, Dale. Um, and we need to learn to listen. Um, and then give yourself grace. Um, you know, give yourself grace. One of the, one of the great um, freedoms that I have received in my, in my recovery has, has been this realization that I am a human being, that I make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes until the last day I'm on this earth. Um, but I, I know God's grace is certain. And that he never gives up on us that he is faithful to the promises that he has made. You know, sometimes when I talk about this spiritual growth, this line of, of growth that we are on, and that, you know, that's the growth that I still want to have, this is where I am today, and that's the past, sometimes we need to give ourselves some grace about the past and say, you know, I can't change the past. It is where, I, you know, what I was, who I was, but I'm not that person anymore, Right? And, and one of the things that I think um, we sometimes do um, in this place is we tend to beat ourselves up for the struggles and the mistakes that we make. Give yourself grace. Learn from it and move forward. Give yourself grace. Learn from the mistake and move forward. Um, so last word um, to those of you who are waiting on the Lord right now. Um, I know that that is tough. There are a lot of people in this church who you know, are waiting for the, the addiction to stop or the mental health to get better.
for the, the physical health issues to go away, for the relationship to heal, to find a relationship, for the loneliness to end. I could go on and on. Um, sometimes it's hard to wait on God. Um, but here's what I do know. What I do know is that, that God asks us to wait because it is often how we build faith or God builds faith in us. We learn to trust by trusting in God in his time to fulfill his promises. And I want you to know that if you are waiting today that God is closer than you think. He is with you. He loves you. And we will wait with you. And I want you to remember his promise. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who trust, or other translations will say wait. But those who wait in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let's stand up and sing our closing song.